Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Curious Catalyst, where we discuss living life on a mission and all the journeys, wins, struggles, habits, hacks, everything that kind of comes with that. And today, I am honored to have Beirus Hariri on with me. I don't know if I said that right, but we'll ask him in a moment. Um, yeah, you got 100 points already. There you go. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, Beirus, I, he is the CEO and founder of Smart Nora. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a lifesaver for many, many people who need sleep. Um, and we'll get into that in a minute. And I also Googled you just to kind of get a background of if I didn't, because we know each other a little bit, obviously. Um, wait, wait, yeah, let's also give context to, we know each other a little bit means we've had probably about six hours of conversations total ever. That's Is true, it? but it feels like so much more than that. I know, because like one of it was like three <laughs> and a half, four hours on paddle boards on Lake Ontario. Yes which was amazing. You also taught me how to shuck oysters on a paddleboard on a lake. That was pretty go. awesome. I mean, and then maybe a couple of hangouts before you went on um, traveling around the US for work, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. Because um, I think we chatted about this too. Like, uh, it's interesting that sometimes you're where you are or like the conversation you want to have is aligned enough that you go pretty deep, like you have these wide ranging, interesting conversations. And you're like, okay, yeah. I kind of got a good sense of who this person is, but we haven't actually, we haven't known each other for long at all. So I think that's, that's cool. Yeah, because now I'm trying to think, our first conversation was maybe three minutes. I was sitting at a cafe outside on a patio with a friend and you biked by with one of your friends and you and Parl, my, uh, our mutual friend, obviously knew each other and you stopped and you were like, hey, and you chatted and then we chatted and then, and then it was just like, want to hang out? Let's, let's go bike ride and paddleboarding. Okay. We kind of like sped through the <laughs> journey of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's also a very summer thing where you're like in a yeah. flow, right? Um, but uh, what did you learn about me when you Googled me? I'm curious now. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I learned that you're very well curated with your presence online, which <laughs> is good for sure. <laughs> That's funny. I've been like, you're, you're, you're saying well curated. I've also like heard people tell me you're, you're so staged online because like, yeah, I'm a graphic designer. So <laughs> end up, I end up actually yeah, designing what I look like online. But, uh, but see, I think that's very brilliant. I read an article the other day about how that's actually quite important because um, now everybody just throws everything online and they don't realize that it's kind of there forever and it's always going to be, you know, searchable. But when, if you Google Beirut Hariri, then it's all very much about your design and like the, what you're trying to achieve with it. I think two of my favorite statements were... Um, design thinking to individuals and you bring design thinking to individuals and organizations with human-centered ambitions which I thought I really like that sentence and then the second one that I really liked is addressing poverty through design the internet is doing its magic there you go see yeah. so your but message I think, but that's yeah that's I think it has been intentional especially when I 
started working independently because actually I started, um, actually, no, I can't say I started working independently out of school. After I got fired from my first job out of school, I didn't make it through the probation <laughs> period. <laughs> uh, this is a good story. But anyways, uh, on the 90th day, basically, <laughs> yeah. no, it was just like it was not working out because it was a, it was a big firm and, you know, it was designed as needed to serve, you know, corporate clients. And it just wasn't yeah. like really, <laughs> I, let's put it this way. I was actually not listening to my boss because I was just like so not passionate about what was happening there. <laughs> so it was like very yeah. mutual, but I got a good uh, three months salary out of it and then went to Germany for a type conference and then came back and kind of started my own independent design practice for a bit, which was a struggle because just out of school, I didn't have a network or anything like that. But that's mm -hmm. why I realized like, okay, really need to put some stuff online that yeah. if somebody sees it, it's relevant to what I want them to come to me for. Uh, and yeah. I think so far has served me well. Yeah. If you got to keep all of the knowledge that you've gained in your career now and were to go back to the moment of coming back from Germany and being like, I'm starting for myself. Is there anything you would do differently the second time around? I think the biggest, the biggest thing that was probably holding me back back then was um, being a workaholic. Even that early mm. in my career, like I was spending too much time at work and yeah. the rest of like, um, uh, you know, just physical activity, self-care, all these things that I've come to learn more and more. I just need so much more of it than I thought. Like my baseline mm. for physical activity was uh, like, I've pretty much always been very active. Like we've been always hiking and stuff like that with a fam as a family. But this idea of like, no, I need to move two hours a day. That mm. felt always like too much. And like this idea right. of like, you know, I did like, I did a four hour run on the weekend. Can't I just, just be for the rest of the week? <laughs> like, no, no, you need to do that every day. So as I'm saying this, I'm realizing the big shift has been uh, understanding what is a unit of a day and why mm. the, that one day actually on its own needs to be kind of balanced. Not always. Yeah but I was having very unbalanced uh, days. Like I would have a massive rest day, massive activity day. And then I wanted to work for five days in a row. It was just not, right. it was not happening. And then by the yeah. end you were like, Ugh. so that's why the massive rest day again, cause it's like you need to recharge and then you're like, yeah. oh, I haven't moved. And then, and then it's just this pattern. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's curious, the biggest how... thing. If I were to go back to mm -hmm. those earlier days uh, to hammer down this concept of like, no, seize the day doesn't mean finish the project today. It means also <laughs> get your rest, get your activity, do some work, and then just have some empty time. Yeah, so I have two questions that kind of come up from that. One, what is your average amount of movement you get in a day now? Mm -hmm. And two is, um, shit forget the second one it'll come back to me as you answer that one <laughs> uh definitely variable with the weather um one of the things i love in my life right now has been this you know this mm. bluetooth headset that's as stereotypical <laughs> as it is because i all summer i've been taking calls and doing my emails uh either by the water or in the park which is very lucky i'm like close to both um mm. and it's just um 
Let me allow me to illustrate. Actually, I have my notebook here. Just reminds me of oh, this yeah, thing I drew. I already here. saw you holding a pen. <laughs> <laughs> so I drew this in conversation with my coach. So on the I think you see it on the left of the screen where there's like little dots with a block like a around machine. It. it is a task with it, all the emotional weight around it. And then oh, the other yeah. side is just the task themselves. Like these tiny dots are like, oh, this is like the things I have to do today, but it's taking yeah. this much space. So I realized like right. the tension, a lot of times is coming from me having to sit here and mm. do an email, but the email is actually yeah. is too easy. Like I'm so bored of responding right. to something that I already know the answer to. <laughs> you know it's just like there's nothing interesting happening there you're just like doing yeah. admin work for yourself so i you know it's been nice to be able to then multitask not multitasking in writing an email but my body is free but yeah you know a mm -hmm. small part of my mind is writing an email and that's all it needs to be taken up yeah um so i think that's kind of the long answer to just how much movement if possible like, all the time yeah and like one yeah. of the other gifts is this uh you can't see it but i have it like a nice um sit stand desk ah. so at some point i basically just don't even think about um whether i'm sitting or standing i'm just moving all this on an arm and just moves around all the time so yeah, then that's you know so perfect. yeah it's gotten a, a um, while to get into that habit but then i'm actually just moving around the space all the time yeah, that's awesome. And so with increased movement and not even only movement, I'm guessing there's other areas of your life that are now more balanced um, and not like work and then some time for other things. But with that balance, have you found your productivity has risen? Oh, definitely. And I would put it in this way. It's not about productivity. I think it's about that same relationship of I'm asking my mind to focus mm. on a lot of discrete tasks. Um, so what is a typical day for me now? Uh, also just for context, what I do is I'm CEO of a small startup, 12 people. And we do right now, what we're doing is product development, marketing, customer support, and uh, just general management, right? Um, mm -hmm. Each of these actually, you need to be quite present. Like you need to load a lot of information to make a decision. So yeah. it took me a while to realize I'm actually asking a lot of my mind. So poor thing ends up acting up because it's like, like, I don't want to, like literally my <laughs> mind is like, I don't want to. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and I learned it better like last year. Two things I would say to, um, overlapped for me to learn what was happening. One was that like pretty much I watched my creativity go on strike because I was mm. just demanding so much of it without feeding it inspiration or free time or just like free flowing conversations. Yeah. yeah, and it was like a full on strike. I'm just like, nope, we're not gonna participate. <laughs> like shit, can't, can't really uh, put too much demand on it anymore in that way. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. And I think that has been kind of, you know, this my office space I think is not a bad way of, um, showing like what it takes for me to now stay creative. So a typical mm. day, just about like this week, maybe we can talk. Uh, it yeah. has been three, four days of the day start at 
the workday starts at 8 a.m. because I'm talking mm -hmm. to Poland with a <laughs> team that we work with there. And the day has sometimes ended at like 9.30, 11 p.m. because I'm talking to China for the product that's being manufactured. <laughs> so In uh, Mandarin, by the way, because he sent a message the other day, a little voice <laughs> clip it, and I was just like, I don't know what's happening yeah, I, here. I can't like, just this say is my meeting. <laughs> I can say thank you and goodbye at the end of those calls. But, uh, <laughs> but like, it sounds really bleak if that's your, really that's just like your work day. Uh, but in between, you know, I turn around and just like take a break and like paint a little mm. or like I have a musical instrument up there, like doing that stuff in between um, has taken a while for me to actually make it work. But then the flow of the day is um, I have a group of 10 friends on a chat room where we egg each other on to do yoga starting at 6.30 a.m. So mm -hmm. I get to do it because of them. I get to do it reliably three out of the five working days. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, okay, let's do something for yourself in the beginning. <laughs> then, then it's kind of cool to be talking to Poland. Like this idea of just like working with people all over the world is actually, it's kind of the first time in humanity we can do it in this quality. Like I can have a full yeah. video call with someone in Poland and, you know, learn also some like slang from them and just ask them like, what is your favorite thing to cook? Like learn a little bit, like what are just the chances? Like hang, hang out, yeah, like the water cooler. <laughs> yeah, just a bit of water cooler. I, I tend to bring that in. Uh, but the funny thing is sometimes I asked, uh, last time I asked people on, in Hong Kong that were in a call with us, like, hey, what's your favorite thing to cook? And everybody was like, hamburger, spaghetti, schnitzel. I'm like, okay, that's right. It is a cosmopolitan <laughs> city. I was like, <laughs> I was fishing for something else. But, uh, so then weaving that stuff together probably has been um, the trick to be able to spread work out into those many hours mm -hmm. and then yeah. make sure there's intentional time. So I change at 5, 6 p.m. when work is done. I change yeah. for sure, just to the, mark the end of the workday. And if I'm doing late work, then I'm doing late yeah. work. It just counts as that. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, I think that's kind of the fabric of how to stretch yourself a little more um, by actually, I, I actually don't work more than eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. like, even though it might start at 8 a.m. and at 11 p.m. Well, that yeah. gives me permission to then, you know, between 5 and 9 p.m., just make sure you're not doing it. Yeah, like go out paddleboarding at sunset, for example. You know, Something that like happens that. to be, or sunrise, sunset, something around the sun and paddleboards um, is one of your Toronto favorites, at least. I don't know, because yeah. you spend time, um, I guess this year it's been a little less, but you hop between San Francisco and Toronto? Those are like your two bases? It, well, it used to be. No, like for the past uh, four years that we've been focused on this company, um, mm -hmm. I've been like Toronto has been home base the whole team is here and uh, it's been a lot of work trips uh, either to China to Shenzhen area and Hong Kong for our manufacturing side of things or mm -hmm. yeah visits to San Francisco um, just kind of for the whole startup scene and potential funding and stuff like that uh, but yeah, yeah Toronto has been very much the center of it all yeah so I I know the story um you told it to me in one of the like 
six hour conversations. Actually, it was at the very end of that paddleboard trip after we fought the wind and the waves to get back to shore. <laughs> um, and we were just talking about how you got into Smart Nora and like how it even came about. So I was like, is this something you've always thought of? And you were like, no, I was just trying to solve a problem for, I think it was your dad. Um, so actually, yeah, the correction there is I joined forces with him and my brother who had started oh, this that course. that was it, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, my title is CEO and co-founder very much, not, not founder. Um, so I came back from um, my basically experience went from learning graphic design communication and slowly working my way up into more general strategy and design research. And, mm-hmm. um, and the kind of the peak of that experience and learning curve was when I was in San Francisco working with idea.org and um, doing all kinds of design services as a company but the filter for those um, projects that IDEA.org takes on is projects that are advancing development goals and reducing poverty. Mm. So I got to work in like six, seven different countries, every three, four months jumping from one subject matter and one cultural context to another, which I was really skeptical of how are we going to actually contribute. Being an immigrant yeah. myself, and you know, I understand culture shock, I know what cultural context <laughs> yeah. actually means. Like you can't just like apply uh, same yeah. methodology everywhere. Uh, but, you know, to my delight and surprise, we were actually doing a lot. Um, and it was, a lot of it was by bringing, bringing a process to uh, specialists and different regions, right? So best mm-hmm. example of it I have is like, we did a project in the Philippines uh, with um, Mercy Corps as the funder and this new bank called Banco, which their whole mission was to only onboard people who have never used banking services before. So we were in the kind of huh. village rural context and working with people with uh, previously with seasonal income. So fishermen and farmers mostly. Yeah. And because of the Typhoon Haiyan in 2016, Mercy Corps was giving people a steady monthly income uh, for people who had lost their homes to rebuild. And the hypothesis was, or the question was, can this be used as an opportunity uh, now that from seasonal income, they're switching to regular income to take advantage of some banking services, which are much cheaper than the local, um, kind of the trust circles and the local money management systems they had. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's like very new con- context to us. But the whole reason that project worked, and now it's actually the program we started, the pilot we started is, I think, more than 100,000 uh, customers um, oh, that's like have been onboarded to it and are using it in the, in the, in the Philippines. But the reason it worked was that the VP of marketing of the bank was with us in the village. Mm. And, you know, when we got to the final um, prototype that we ran in that short project, what what we handed off to them was us literally standing at a table in the market. And there was like fish on one side, fruit on one side, (laughs) and we're giving like these like short term loans in the middle. Um, and it was very different from their image of, because they wanted to bring, they wanted to do their best, 
in this context. Right. And part of that yeah. idea of the best was that we were going to build a beautiful branch with a glass door and people are going to walk through it, right? Right. That's and that culture thing you were talking about, very North American style bank, whereas they need market banking. No, it wasn't even a North American idea. It was Manila, big city. That's mm. how, you know, that's, that's what's common. But in the rural context, last thing I want is to actually walk through these glass doors because I know on the other side, there is someone sitting that uses vocabulary about money that is going to just make me feel bad. Like, I don't yeah. know how to navigate that. Uh, and, you know, like all credit goes to them because they were like there every step of the way. They pushed us actually to do that prototype because yeah. <laughs> towards the end of that uh, project, this was a rapid, like we did 14 prototypes or 12 prototypes in 11 days. So every day we're just like trying a couple of what? things. Yeah, um, we can get into that. But that's a really fun case study. <laughs> but, but at the very end of it, we had just, we had gone from like interviews to paper prototypes, to digital prototypes, to uh, like make belief doing like the actual transaction with people to see how it would work. And like the yeah. night before the last day or two days left in the trip, we were like, either people are being really nice to us because we are, you know, foreigners and in this context, people are very hospitable or, yeah. or it's actually the idea we have is good. And it was uh, VP of marketing of the bank and the coordinator for volunteers in the region. And they were like, why don't we actually then give them the actual loan? We are like, what do you mean? They're like, no, let's do it. Let's like literally. Um, give out get, a loan right here. Yeah. Get like the legal paperwork all worked out, which we did. Like this was like, by the way, this yeah. conversation is at like 6 p.m. in a hotel. <laughs> and then we're working until midnight to like figure everything out. And they pulled volunteers to come help the next day. And the VP of marketing like was like, okay, I can dedicate budget to the principal of these loans from my marketing money. And they actually pushed us to do it. And it, it was it was really interesting. So that's that's where I was, that's what I was doing. That's the world I was in before yeah. I came back. <laughs> Uh, to Toronto and uh, my dad basically showed me this thing he had built that it worked but it was uh, like ugly so ugly uh, <laughs> it's like he's like I don't care what it looks like it works your mom yeah, it was like MacGyver and, together. and my dad is like literally the guy that MacGyver sings together like he's a mechanical <laughs> engineer I always say I'm, I always say my dad is a mechanical engineer with no loyalty to his discipline. He will do things, whatever it takes. <laughs> as long as it works, that's all he cares about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he had built it to help him and my mom. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's cute. Like, good for you guys. And then he <laughs> challenged me and my brother. We were both busy with other things. Uh, I was working on another startup idea. And he challenged us like, no, a lot of my friends actually want this. So mm -hmm. he took it on as a challenge, gave it to people. Um, they wanted it. They wanted to pay for the prototype and just kind of took it on from there. I won't go into too much of this because yeah. there is like, I've, there's a, we can put other links to story of the company and all that. Uh, but I don't yeah. think that's really what you want to talk about here. Yeah. We'll add the links below. What I am curious about is having come from that experience in the Philippines where they were just like, why don't we just do it right here? And instead of, going through the whole, you know, normal project plan of creating a product and testing it and releasing it and whatever, and just being like, let's just do it. And then coming home to this, how much of that experience and mindset of let's just do it 
influenced the journey that you took in this this product your dad was creating? Uh, I guess the short answer is <laughs> uh, the short answer is how do three people who have never manufactured a mass manufactured product mass consumer product decide to go into it and figure it out? Okay, that was like. <laughs> we just yeah i think it was just like we'll figure it out step by step um yeah but also it wasn't like just jumping into it without um letting the idea prove it, it's to us like like we right. challenged the product we challenged the idea and then whenever we saw traction we took more steps yeah have you because you said recently you're um, I think we we're joking about how you're birthing another baby. So there's obviously more things kind of on the horizon that you're stepping into and creating. As a kid, did you always think you wanted to be like an, maybe not an inventor, but like an entrepreneur? Or did you see yourself as someone who would like go out and create their own things? I don't think I had that kind of, like I'm not a person that had that story of like, I wanted to be, um, mm -hmm. I didn't have that title in mind. Uh, I had the yeah. funniest thing, I think, growing up in a society like Iran, where it's a little more cookie cutter in terms of what you're expected to become. It's more classic in that sense of, yes, actually it is like become a doctor or an engineer or uh, success has these titles attached to it. Um, yeah. Lucky enough for me, my family is you know very unconventional in that sense. Uh, so I didn't have that pressure. And it, it's actually, this is a funny story. I think it was about 11. And I had been thinking for days or what it felt like months about how do I tell my dad that I don't want to become an engineer, right? And then if <laughs> yeah. it, like finally I like, you know, get the courage to like, be like dad, I, I need to talk to you. <laughs> like, I don't want to become an engineer. And like, I'm, I'm like in tears telling him this. Um, yeah. And I, I never forget, like, he was like, yeah, don't you want to become like an artist or something? Because like, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was already like a lot into like visual arts and drawing all the time and all that. And it was like so interesting to just like looking back at that, I've always seen like expectations that obviously you put on yourself, but it wasn't even mm -hmm. coming from my family, but just coming from probably Culture. the way people, um, complimented my dad or that title of engineer is actually is a social I mean actually um, in India Mohandas is a name which means engineer huh yeah which is like, okay. like that's interesting it's like uh, or yeah. or in Iran when people want to give you a title they yeah. say hello engineer like you go like you go shopping this is actually funny I've never translated this but like you go shopping <laughs> and if you drive yeah. up in an expensive car and yeah. walk into the like fruit like uh, seller yeah. they're like hello engineer Salam Mohandes like they're just literally that's your title it's not sir even oh like, so it's almost like this is it's a, a title they give thing. to anyone with yeah exactly yeah it's a Interesting. so uh, so they would call you uh <laughs> like in, typically if they don't know what you do but you, you yeah. know, you look like you could be one and you're probably well off. You get the title <laughs> yeah. of like engineer. engineer or if you're a woman, more likely they call you doctor. So oh. hello, doctor. Hello, engineer. So like that's probably drilled in your head. 
uh, so young. That yeah, and then of that, course, that, like you, yeah, like culturally, you said you see around you that these are the respected professions, and so if your your father is one of those professions as well, then. I don't know, as children, we take on these expectations, mm. like, oh, they probably want this for me. And now I have to yeah. do that. And as 11 year olds end up in tears confessing and they're like, well, no, of course you're not going to be an engineer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I think that's the funny thing. Like now in this conversation with you, I'm like putting all of this together, maybe one more time. This um, one is that like the social labels. And the second mm. part was, I've always been very competitive with my dad in that sense of I saw at a very young age that he was like taking on like massive projects, right? Mm. And I was really skeptical of how can I have impact even though I'm not interested in what he is interested in. Like I was interested in communication mm. and in visual arts mm -hmm. and, and drama and stuff like that. I was like, I, I, I think in my early teens, I felt trapped that like, uh oh, I'm not interested in engineering or technical yeah. subject matters. And I want to have an impact, but I don't see the path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and it was part of that conversation <laughs> where I told my dad, I don't want to become an engineer. Then, and I, I'm just remembering this memory um, yeah. more fully as I'm talking to you about it and I think the next thing I said was then how can I actually like do something important because I'm watching you do something he had at that time he had taken like a very massive project um, bringing a petrochemical uh, industrial complex back into operation and it was the biggest oh, wow. in the Middle East uh, and it was damaged yeah. during the Iran Iraq war and they were like doing all these repairs and bringing it all up back online so that was the story. Like you would, I would meet my dad's uh, colleagues and they would tell me, like, we are so proud of your dad because he's taken on this project. Right. So do you remember what your dad said when you were like, I don't want to be an engineer, but how can I have an impact? Did he respond to that? Do you remember? I should go. He has such a great memory. I, I should go and ask him, like, do you remember what you said? I do remember very clearly that he was like, it was so obvious to him that I would not want to become an engineer. <laughs> and yeah. then I was like, it's like, it's like, damn, I spent so much energy, like mustering <laughs> up the courage to, to have this conversation. Um, yeah. but, but then that has been an interesting theme of like, I guess um, what we wanted to also maybe explore in this conversation was this idea of like, how do you then find that through line to the kind mm. of impact you want to have? And for me, yeah. The moment of clarity. So for a while, I was very much interested in animation because I'm really interested in just act of creating. Uh, yeah. and animation to me is like, oh, so juicy. Like when you make <laughs> when you make those frames and then you flip through your notebook and it moves, it's just like it's such a joy. Um, Do the corners of all your notebooks have little oh yeah. little cartoons? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it sometimes there were multiple storylines also because like you would run out and then you would do the other side or whatever in the <laughs> but yeah. uh, so that was like pulling me consistently in that direction and I think it was a great um, inspiration to just keep learning how to draw and like how mm. to create visually and all that and I think a lot of things uh, that are related to that like timing expression 
storytelling, all that stuff. So I was paying a lot of attention mm-hmm. to that stuff, right? So my teenage years yeah. was taking drawing classes, just being very fascinated with this idea of like skill and craft. And then I think the moment of clarity I had was in university when I ended up going to the design program and not going to add the animation program at Sheridan or illustration at OCAD, which were my two other options. Somehow I ended up in design. And then we saw um, a clip. It's like a famous clip that everyone that goes to design program sees it of uh, this (laughs) shopping cart design channel a design challenge by one of the IDEO teams. It was like a 60 minute TV program kind of segment. And then okay. there's so many things just clicked there. I'm like, oh, I can see like this um, side of prototyping and building physical things that I have learned from my dad with this mm-hmm. side of presenting your idea and all that it just clicked so well that yeah. that stuck with me. And that was like, I was kind of just pursuing that direction of becoming more of a generalist. Um, and yeah, I felt really lucky to be able to actually do it, like actually go to the place that inspired me and do some yeah. of work. Yeah, I was and just then, gonna say. Yeah. Sorry, because you watched this video on the first day of school, like when you started was the, studying some, design? Sometime in the, the first, first like month yeah. or whatever, yeah. yeah. And then you actually like got to work there for a period of time and on a number of projects. Like mm-hmm. that must've felt really almost surreal. It was surreal also in surreal. I, yeah, I guess you can call it that. But it was also very interesting to go in there and see what is the quality of the people and the culture of a place mm. like that. Yeah. Uh, and also see that, yes, it's not all portfolio type projects. There is also like somebody's working on like a display for Acer or somebody's working like <laughs> on a front dashboard for a Hyundai. Like that also yeah. is happening, right? Yeah. Um, so a little bit more kind of real um, way of seeing it, but I think it was a masterclass in learning uh, specific lessons from specific people there. So my friend Martin um, taught me so much about listening and mm. um, being like a student when you are actually interviewing people. Um, we were in Ethiopia, I remember, we were in Ethiopia and we were interviewing farmers because we wanted to learn how to design this um, mechanical planter for tap seeds that they make the injera bread from, if you ever had Ethiopian ah. food, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a long day, you know, we are like getting in a car, going between villages, talking to farmers and asking them like, tell us about how you plant because we wanna learn um, how to fit this within your uh, farming practices. And, you know, by the 10th interview of the day, you know, yes, this is the direction that we um, plant in relation to the sun. This is how we manage the seasons and all that. And in a way, I want to advance the conversation faster and I want to like help. But the moment Mm -hmm. I volunteer some information that I learned from the previous farmer, I've shut down the sky and like this, this, now, the farmer number 11 that I'm talking to now feels like, ah, okay, like maybe it's redundant. Maybe I don't, shouldn't really share too much with them. And it was amazing right. to watch Martin just like when the farmer says something like, yeah. And then I start like broadcasting my seeds like that. This is like the 10th time we are hearing it that day. And he's like, oh, really? 
amazing. Tell me more about that. And like <laughs> they would open up even more. And then at the end of that 30 minute conversation, maybe you get a nugget of like insight mm. there. Um, yeah. So it's like mining. You can't give up mining. You have to like go through all the stuff that are familiar. Uh, so that yeah. was just like great to learn something like that in practice uh, from someone who's a really good design researcher. Yeah, so design based on what you've told me, sounds like there's a lot of psychology involved in this as well, obviously in how people are gonna apply it, but even in getting that information, because if you don't know how to read and approach someone and have that discussion, you're never gonna find the, the nuggets um, because like you said, like you'll shut them down and then you might miss that key piece of information that'll change a certain aspect of the design or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there are simple things. I think these are like very common practice with any design researcher or all these design consulting firms that um, have um, that in their methodology. Like for example, like if I present you a prototype that looks mm -hmm. polished, I'm not gonna get real um, fundamental feedback from you because you will feel bad huh. that oh, this is like, this thing is almost done. I'm gonna give them a little like feedback. I'm like, yeah. Maybe a right. size of the type or the move it a little to the left. I'm not going to tell you like, oh, this whole page does not make any sense to me. Why is this? <laughs> right? So yeah. I actually should go to you for that fundamental type of feedback with sketches and they should look rough because then you are willing to question it that way, right? Yeah. A lot of things I actually needed was uh, when you want real feedback, don't tell people that you designed it. You tell them, hey, we hired someone to design this thing for us. What do you think about it? And yeah. then actually get real feedback. Um, or we had like this, <laughs> another way of looking at it, like in cult cultural context, we were uh, going around interviewing people in Congo for this water distribution system and mm -hmm. uh, a membership model. Like how are you gonna pay for it? Right. We went out and we had these like mock-up pa pamphlets that showed like if you join this this is how it's going to work and people were like yeah this is amazing and we're like okay hold on hold on now let's we will stay in the office we'll send we'll train our um, guides and translators to go do the interview yeah. they went and they came back they're like people hated these this is like, <laughs> nobody liked the idea i'm like okay uh -huh. so, yeah you have a bunch of like so, and... go ahead no just like yeah you have a bunch of like foreigners going to a village you're an event mm. and who's, who cares about the design people want to hang out with you and it's gonna be yeah remember that time that those visitors from california were here so you're such a they gave us that stupid idea but you know it was really fun to hang out with them <laughs> exactly like what are you like of course you want to hang out like you're gonna be nice to them keep them around and you would you know it was all this really nice interaction people would have you over for like coffee and we had this in Ethiopia, people would say, come just for a coffee. And then when you would arrive, there was like, a, <laughs> a full meal. Was, like, so nice. We had so much great food that way. But, uh, but yeah, you, you also learn obviously so much about cultural sensitivity and power dynamics and where you're going and how you ask your questions. Yeah, so outside of, because obviously this has had a lot of influence on the way you structure your business now and how you work and how you design, but how has it affected your 
demeanor and personality and just life outside of work, like with your friends and everyday interactions? Good question. Um, I think some of the lessons are definitely shared. So I think similar to what I'm telling you about, for example, that insight around how to interview people. Uh, I learned that before this, much <laughs> earlier than that, um, from another friend in Tehran. I took a I took a year off York. We all did as a family. That maybe also yeah. a little bit of our context. My father was going back and forth for work, and it was like, you know what, guys? Like we've been in Canada for at that point maybe five six years. Why don't we all go back to Tehran for a year? And I think it was also this test for my parents that like they brought us all over here right before we were 18 or around that age. And yeah. they kind of were wondering like, would we choose it ourselves again or not? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it was a magical year at the University of Tehran. And then <laughs> I remember there was um, this friend of mine who had the same name as me. And the interesting thing I was observing with him was like all these new people, um, I would have, you know, a little light conversation with them when I would get to know them. And that was it. Like it would stop. Mm, and then yeah. sometimes I would be sitting in the bench in the University of Tehran. Like it has a beautiful um, kind of outdoor spaces. And I would see that same person be talking to my friend and talking about all these amazing topics and about themselves. So like, <laughs> how is this happening? This person yeah. also has expanded and they're so much bigger and more interesting and just like so much more expressive when they're talking to him. Yeah. That, that was like such an interesting lesson. And I think that's, you know, has then I relearned it again in different contexts. I relearned it in context of managing people. Uh, right. Just to like taking a real interest in people is where things open up. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of those examples, like it's kind of a shared lesson and you keep relearning it, I think, because we all go through a period of like, you kind of get jaded and <laughs> yeah. you know, you're tired and you want to believe the world is as small as you want it, you think it is, mm. but if it's bigger, yeah. then it's on you. Like if the world is actually yeah. more expansive and more <laughs> interesting than you see it, yeah. It is on you. So you kind of rather yeah. actually the world be that way, but the world is actually much bigger <laughs> always. So, <laughs> yeah. so I keep relearning this. Um, and um, yeah, I think that the way it has manifested in personal life is um, having, yeah, multi hour conversations with friends over many days and many months. And we actually kind of keep having that conversation. It goes really interesting places. Um, yeah. And and by now I know for a fact that some of my friends, we have conversations that neither of us have with anyone else because mm. we've actually created that space and we, we know each other well in that kind of that area maybe. Yeah, that's brilliant. And you do cultivate a... a container I guess you would call it or like a space of trust like the longer you're having these conversations and then you like express vulnerably on your end and they're like oh okay I'm gonna share like open up and share mm -hmm. and when they do then you're like you said like you're really listening and you're like oh tell me more like what what's going on and so then that 
you know, it builds on each other. And eventually you've just got like this unlimited space of a place to open up and just mm -hmm. really be, be real. Yeah. And it's always a trade. You can't, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen one way, right? Like you have, if you want, yeah. I actually went through this, um, maybe let's say what, three years ago or so, where I just had this moment. I was like, you know what? I need to see, uh, I need to do a scan of my friendships mm -hmm. and mostly my uh, friendships with men and see who's having real conversations with me. And that happened yeah. because I realized a friend of mine was going through some really tough times and I had no idea. And mm -hmm. I only learned about it because his wife talked to my girlfriend and I was like, oh, like, why are we friends then? Like, why are we? And I had met with him that week or that month. And yeah, he had just put Nothing. on this, thing, you know, like, oh, let's go of work and like things are good and all that. I was like, that's a waste of time in so many ways. Um, and I think my mind goes to this in terms of, you know, if I want to raise a family, who I want to be that network and community and support system around it. If I want to explore interesting uh, life choices, who should be someone around me that can be a sounding board. Uh, so I actually yeah. went through this, uh, pretty much met up with a lot of my colleagues that were friends, um, just like friends that I had known for a while and then sat down and I would, you know, volunteer a piece of real information with like what's happening in my life. Yeah. And we would see what happens. And it wasn't that like, um, it is an expectation. It is just more of a um, survey to see, will I have this conversation with this person or not? And it was kind of recalibration across the board. Like, okay, these are the group of people that I actually know what's going on with them. So I can actually mm -hmm. talk to them. And these are a group of people that, yeah, we are uh, social with each other. <laughs> and yeah, we, we have a good time and that's where it stays. Which I think is important to have. I'm not saying all conversations need to be um, mm, super yeah. deep, but, but it's, it's good to consciously know um, what other people also expect of that interaction yeah. or that friendship. So it was, it was very, um, it was very grounding. And it was also really good to know, like it, the, the outcome of it was like, I realized I actually have a much deeper support network than I thought. And that doubt that had come up of like this guy that I thought I'm his good friend, but he's not asking for any input or any like uh, help yeah. from that might be more of an isolated case. Um, but yeah, I find that very important now. And like that, I think I keep a pulse on who am I having real conversations with? And if that's fading away, you can actually do a check-in like, hey, sometimes you actually yeah. will not have those conversations with someone anymore or for a decade. Yeah. I had like one of my best friends, we didn't talk for eight years and then we reconnected. And it's, you know, it's because it's meaningful now. We have things to share. Yeah. We ran out of things to give each other. Uh, and now we have yeah. to give each other again, yeah. And I think that that's okay, right? You go through phases and sometimes it's like you need to, I know, I think I said this to you when I landed back in Toronto and you were like, let's hang out. And it's like, I really want to. And I'm in this phase of like head down, kind of in my own little hermit hole. Um, and you're like, great, like take your time, do your thing. That's a phase. And then, you know, when you're ready, you'll come back out and we'll reconnect and it'll be great. And 
as long as there's that realness when you do connect, it doesn't matter that there's phases in between where, you know, you kind of hermit a little bit or pull back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think in my life, that's the quality of relationship I have with my cousins. I don't mm. talk to all my cousins that often, but every time we do, we are cousins. Yeah. That, Whereas like with that. your siblings, you kind of, uh, like at least for me, like we never disappear from each other's lives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like you're always there uh, yeah. and there's more friction and there's a lot of more energy, like a lot more energy is spent to keep it a good flow and upkeep of that because, because you belong to each other, right? Right. And that's actually one of yeah. the ways that... I was talking to a friend. I was like, "You with siblings, we belong to each other. So you have, you can demand them to talk to you. <laughs> but with cousins, you don't belong to each other. You are related. Uh, yeah. So it's very natural when you don't know about each other for a while, and then you come back. But there is a very strong bond. I like that distinction: belong to each other versus related. That's a good one. I also have a difficult time imagining because I know you as such a social person. I know you've started all these like social gatherings. I think you had a, a Zoom cooking gathering for a while to like get everybody together and like socialize and stuff. And then you're talking about how, you know, in your high or college days or whatever, the beginning of your career where that you didn't necessarily possess that quality yet of bringing people together and allowing them to open up because you have you're one of the people I know that has such a unique skill in making people feel comfortable and opening up I've mm. seen you do it with other people like I said we've had endless hours of conversations and it's because it's like oh yes we're gonna get real and this is comfortable so I'm just it's funny to see how experience and life changes that because I can't picture you any other way <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I think that tendency has definitely been there. Uh, mm. I've always been bubbly. Um, I don't know, like I think back to an example. When I was a teenager, we were on this trip in Hamburg and I would draw nice things for mm -hmm. the server in the restaurant downstairs because we, they kind of became friends with us. We were there for four, four days, three days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there was always this kind of um, openness and or, or the earliest version of that. And I think part of it is like where your culture allows for it and you really kind mm. of buy into it fully. I remember when I would go and buy bread, um, I would always get one extra. And I don't know where yeah. I took this on, but this is something I always did. I think it is like, it's something that's common. Uh, yeah. common knowledge but not common practice I would always get an extra one bread on top and as I'm walking yeah. home from the bakery home you offer that one to people and people take a piece oh. and it's really like I just got a, such a kick out of it um, this is like what I'm like eight years old or like 10 years old yeah um, and that was really nice that you know they then you kind of know a few people in your neighborhood and um, it's a it's a more Tehran is not that anymore. Obviously, it's a city with 18, mm -hmm. more than 18 million people now. Uh, so it yeah. is like a very like big city vibe and you don't have that level of connection. But yeah. um, it was originally all these villages. 
right? That then yeah. became the big merged city. into it. Yeah. yeah, there's like sometimes when you are walking in a small little alley with a water stream, that is yeah. a little like heritage piece of this village life where you actually yeah. just say hi to someone because they're either passing through or there's someone you haven't met yet. And I think some yeah. of that cultural kind of uh, memory lives on. And yeah, you can kind of participate. People are still, uh, people still know what that means if you make a gesture like that. Um, yeah. If you talk to someone who lives in Tehran now, they're like, no, no way, because it's, you know. So different, yeah. For economy, high paced life, hectic life, stress is really high. Um, but at yeah. least when I was growing up, there was that cultural memory of that. And you could invite someone to connect with you on that village life level. Yeah. I like, cause as you're telling that story, it just puts so many pieces in place around like all these things and how you create community wherever you go in your business. I know you've created a very strong sense of community and like here as well. And so it's like, oh, it's just cultural. And that's important to you because you've seen how it brings people together and strengthens and then like ripples forward. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, it is in a way you can think of it as a self-serving uh, mechanism too. Because once you see yeah. the sense of security that it brings, uh, like this idea of um, in Eastern culture or culture that I grew up with, when you bring food out of your bag, mm -hmm. it never comes this way. It always goes, um, always offered. Huh. Or when you yeah. walk into a room with a glass of water, you always yeah. offer it first. And huh. then you drink it. Um, and I think it just goes both ways, right? Like if you are on the receiving end of that, yeah. um, you just, it's a much richer way of uh, collaborating, like um, coexisting with people. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I feel like we could talk, like I could just go down so many rabbit holes and talk for hours, but I do want to honor your time. Um, I do have two more questions. One, the, so you have a, a gorgeous beginning of a painting behind you. And then behind that, it looks like a stack of journals. Are those all your journals? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think the earliest one in there is 2002, three. Um, and it's funny sometimes, like if I open one of them, I was like, huh, I was thinking that today. And it's like the, the note is from like, <laughs> like 16 years ago. And I was like, okay, I have not changed. <laughs> Yeah. And then you just, is it just, you always have it on your person and you journal kind of whatever thoughts come down. Is it an emotional sacred place? Like what, what do you journal when you journal? Uh, I think it's my visual aid for thinking, which mm -hmm. is pretty much like, we have this running joke with my coach that we need to like publish these at the end. Like all the back end of my booklet is diagrams of how I think. I'm just like, <laughs> And then we go back, like the good thing is like when, once you have a visual representation of it, you can go back and make it even more complex. Uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it has been a visual aid in terms of how I think. And it's pretty much, this is my favorite, like I, my favorite is to have my journal in my lap when I'm having a conversation yeah. or thinking about something. Um, you can write yeah. down. Mm -hmm. So do you have, so now I have two more questions and then we'll close out, but what is your favorite diagram or sketch that you've made in, let's say, the last like week or so? Ooh, okay, <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, this is a good one. This is recent, so I'm still understanding what this really means. Okay, but this is from my recent conversation with my coach. We were talking about 
expanding your sense of self. And for me, it was like, it's like, what is its relationship with masculinity? And he told me something interesting. He was like, do you think of yourself maybe, let's say, like a lion? And you think you need to become a stronger lion. But have you ever thought about becoming a whale? That's such a good one. It was like, you're like hung up on this idea of like your... Uh, the expansiveness of your existence as it relates yeah. to your gender role or your social existence. But what if you just think of it, yeah, like as- Yeah, uh, like expand, more, but then- in Yeah, a totally just actually different. be bigger because it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can be the strongest uh, lion you can be, but if you're a whale, it's always- <laughs> You've it's really always expanded. Strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my least <laughs> recent favorite one. That's brilliant. And I love the story behind it. And I'm going to be journaling on that later myself. <laughs> um, and then finally, I know we've covered a lot of different topics, but is there anything that you feel like you have wisdom about and the world should know that I didn't, that we didn't cover? Ooh, I mean, in those terms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, would, I would put a something I'm eager to share. I don't know mm. if there's wisdom in it or not. But yeah, I think the, the recent source of learning I've had has been just like, um, and this is actually, this came from our, our other comment from Chidi, Chidiogo. Mm. Uh, you might know her as, what's, what's her uh, Instagram handle? She Rose. She Roars is her website, yeah. yeah. Yeah, anyways, you search Chidiogo, you're going to find Chidiogo. Uh, but Chidiogo ran this really uh, fantastic session for us when we were in Hawaii for like a week together for a retreat where she sat <laughs> us down and we did uh, three pages of just like a stream of consciousness writing just to get us going. Yeah. And then a few questions about where you are with yourself and where you want to go and all that. And once we were in this flow of having an internal conversation, she was like, okay, now take a few moments and write down a question that you actually don't know the answer to. What is it that you've been searching you don't know the answer to? And mm. you're like, you, you know, very patiently, like wrote down these like deep questions that we don't know the answer to. And she was like, okay, now answer it. And we actually, <laughs> and we all answered our own questions. And it was like, it was so amazing. After that, we were like looking at each other. It was like, ah, oh, interesting. Like what happened there? And to me, like the only thing that was in the way of knowing the answer was just being honest with myself. Right. Right. It was like, there's this protective layer of things that I claim I don't know mm-hmm. because it is a lot of work. Yeah. Once I admit it to right. myself, I need to do the work. So my, my yeah. protection is just to like pretend, like claim ignorance, right? With myself, which is like so hard to get out of it. And um, the great thing I remember Chiriko said at the end was like, one of the reasons you, you could all answer this question is that you wrote it down as if you're mm. asking it of someone else because you need to make it clear. What is this question? Right, yeah. Whereas, a lot of internal conversations sometimes is you go 
very close to the question. You kind of touch it, but you don't express it. You don't. Ask, you know that you're getting close to this unknown or question in your mind, but yeah. you don't ask it in a way that your mind can hear it. Yeah. Uh, and that was like such a, like I've been going back to that so many times uh, since then, where I realized like, okay, you're just mumbling, or you are just like right. asking a question under your breath. No, actually ask the question. <laughs> sit down yeah. and then yeah. answer it and yeah, yeah don't be afraid of the work that, just go uh, yeah it's always that yeah. same dynamic of like okay yep just practicing honesty with myself mm-hmm. and then out of that came this one post that i have in my kitchen uh which is uh what didn't you say today Ooh. and like that's a good one to think about at the end of the day like what didn't you say today like what was that thing that you know is true. You come up with something every day? No, but I think it's a good reminder when I'm stuck. And I know I'm stuck yeah. when my kitchen is messy. Because <laughs> then you have like, to come back to like, that oh, post-it okay. and you're like, yeah, oh, like right. Something is happening because you're not tidying up your kitchen. Therefore, <laughs> you're avoiding something. Avoidance is actually, I think it's, I don't know if it's like that for everyone, but seems like for me, avoidance is universal. Yeah. If I'm avoiding a conversation with a friend or I need to like do some internal Marie Kondo and get rid of stuff, <laughs> it yeah. amazingly manifests in my home and in my work. Yeah. And like there's clutter builds up everywhere. Yeah. So, well, it's yeah. like the principle of as within, so without, right? Like what we're creating inside, we will magically manifest mm. outwardly in our world yeah, so that we like can ridiculous. recognize it. It's ridiculous how many times you have to relearn the same lesson. I'm oh, like, why is yeah. my kitchen messy? Oh, okay. I need to call this friend and tell them this thing. Yeah. Seemingly unrelated, but yeah, as you said. <laughs> I like that your that post-it is in your kitchen because you've noticed, oh, the kitchen is where this will manifest. So I better stick it right there. So that when it's messy, <laughs> I see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. And I feel we might need to do a second one. And definitely just catch up outside of recordings um we'll put all links for where you can find Beirut and what he's working on and keep up to date in the in the comments of this um thank you so much this has been brilliant and I've learned a ton so this was really fun yeah thank you for the time I will talk to you soon (laughs) and thanks for listening whoever is listening uh (laughs) I would just say actually this um I had another conversation similar to this in Farsi with a friend of mine. And we talked about this idea of balance, this idea of like where the lessons are coming from and all that. And it led to so many interesting conversations with some of my other friends and some new friends. So if anyone listens to this and they wanna chat about any of these, I'm so game because it's just like, these are the things I'm learning about. So I'm always- What's your favorite platform for people to reach out to you on? It'll definitely be in here, but then you know, if you wanna talk to him, Go to that one. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, email is email is the best one. So maybe we will we'll find some cryptic way of putting that there without me getting all spam. Yeah, I mean, it's on your website, I noticed. Is that your okay. email? <laughs> yes, it is your email. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Cool. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye.